לקוטי שיחס, חלק י"ט, פרשס נצובים, שיחה גימל. In the last Aliyah of this week's Torah portion, we read in Pasuk Yutes, verse 19, Hachayim v'hamovis nosati l'fanecha, habrocha v'haklola, uvacharta b'chayim l'mantich ye'ata v'zaracha. I have put before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life, so you and your offspring will live. Rashi quotes the words of Acharta v'chayim, choose life, and explains Three ideas associated with these words. One, God says, You have free choice. Yet I instruct you to choose the portion of life. Two, as a parallel to this, imagine, There is a man who says to his son, choose a fine portion of my estate, then directs him to the finest portion, saying, this is the one, you should choose for yourself. And three, Proof for the parable is in verse 5 in Psalm 16 of Tehillim, where it says, Hashem menos chelki v'kaisi ata toimech geiroli. Hashem is my allotted portion in my cup. Hashem guides my destiny. In other words, God laid my hand upon the good portion, saying, take this portion for yourself. We must ask, what is the difficulty in the words of Acharta B'chaim, choose life, that Rashi sees it necessary to explain these words and in such full detail? It seems like the instruction, choose life, is completely understandable and reasonable, as indeed other commentaries choose to understand these words. God is giving us good advice to choose the portion of life through love of God and adhere to his voice and cleave to him. Simply understood, Rashi explains these words to ensure we understand that uvacharta b'chayim, choose life, isn't an order or a command or even good advice to choose life because as an instruction, choose life really doesn't work. If one doesn't know that the choice that is life is indeed, that is good, or that is life is indeed good, and you can just show someone that this choice is life and that this is the choice they then make, instructing them to choose life is redundant and unnecessary. Don't give an instruction. Give a demonstration of how Choosing life is choosing, is choosing good. And if on the flip side one has been shown what life is and isn't convinced that this good is indeed life, how will instructing him to choose life or even advising him to choose life help if he just doesn't think that Torah and mitzvahs is life? And so the words of Acharta B'chaim in fact mean, Ani lachem, I, God, am showing you, by immediately following this instruction with the words, 
to love your God, listen to his voice, and cleave to him. I'm showing you because it's not always easy to see what choosing life looks like, how it is tied to choosing good, and how death is bound up with choosing bad. And so one needs to sometimes be shown what is real life. Life, where not only you get to live fully, but also pass this on to your children in a state of divine love, knowing that life, not existence, and meaningful divine life, that feels like you've lived the length of your days fully. To this end, Rashi brings the parable of a man who says to his son, choose the best part of my estate and shows him exactly where that is proving from the verse that God sets a Jew right onto the choice part. And so we read in Tehillim, you placed my hand on the good portion, saying, take this for yourself. Yet Rashi's long answer remains unclear. Why must Rashi bring an example of a man who instructs his son when Rashi could just say, God directs us as to which is the choice portion? In fact, in the moral, the idea comes through with greater clarity than in the parable. In the lesson to be learned regarding Torah and mitzvahs, it's really important that God directs us that choosing good is choosing life, and indeed is the choice portion, because the goings-on in this world too often conceal this and instead show us how the evil prosper and how the righteous suffer in this world. So for us to be informed that the wicked are cast away at the end and that the righteous rejoice in the final analysis of life is really important. But the parable about a father showing his son how to choose the nicest portion of a physical estate isn't really a stretch. It's a lot easier to see how this choice is worthwhile. And it's not that important for the father to set his son son upon this beautiful portion of the estate. As well, after Rashi says that the father sets his son on the beautiful choice portion, Rashi continues to say, and he tells him, this is what you should choose for yourself. In other words, after he has said to him, choose the nice portion of my estate, and placed him there, he then also says, this one is the portion you should choose. Why is this instruction also necessary, and where is there proof in the verse for this in the moral? Finally, in Rashi's conclusion, connecting the verse in Tehillim to the mushal, the alzen ne'emar, this is what it says in Tehillim, You laid my hand upon the good lot, saying, Take this for yourself. Why does Rashi say on this it says, versus as it says in Tehillim? In other words, a proof of this is in the verse in Tehillim. And why is he then directs him to the best portion in the parable associated to the words, you laid my hand upon the good lot in the verse. If Rashi is actually explaining the verse right here, 
Why does he need a verse in Tehillim to support this? And what is the significance of the words, you laid my hand? To explain this, we look at the question Rashi wants to answer in his explanation. Much of what is said in this word, in this verse, I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Choose life so your life so you live long and your offspring. And in the verse that follows, to love God, to listen to his voice, to cleave to him has already been said in earlier verses. In Pasuk Tesvav, in verse 15, we read, Behold, I've set before you today life and good and death and evil, which clearly associates one with the other, the good and life, evil and bad. If one does good, one experiences life. If one does bad, one experiences death. And in verse 16, Tezayin we read, I'm commanding you today to love God, walk in his ways, and observe his commandments, etc., so that you will live and increase, followed by the next verse that says, but if your heart turns and you don't listen, and you're drawn astray and serve other deities, you will surely perish. So why the, repeti- why the repetition in our Pasuk and in the latter verses? Therefore, Rashi teaches that's what's, that what's new in these latter verses, particularly in our Pasuk, is that the emphasis in the words, choose life, uvacharta vachayim, the directive which the verses do not say earlier on, this is what is new and what is being taught in our Pasuk and has not been said before. To explain what it is that's new or novel here, Rashi brings a parable, like a man says to his son, choose for yourself a fine portion of my estate, and then I directs him to the best portion, saying to him, this is the portion which you should choose for yourself, explaining that there is a possibility that even directing a Jew to the good portion, he still needs to hear, this is what you should choose. The uvacharta b'chayim, choose life, as Rashi explains it, I am directing you to choose the portion of life in our verse, is like the Eimerloi telling him, even after placing him on the choice portion, after the earlier verses where God already seemingly told us, I'm putting good and life before you. And if you do good, it's life. There is still the need to say, and choose life. When the parable states that even after granting the choice portion of the estate, there is still a need for the father to place the son on this choice part, what becomes clear is that the portion isn't an obvious choice portion with just a superficial glance. Its beauty needs to be pointed out. The certainty of the son who is receiving this portion, that the giver is indeed placing him on a choice portion, relies on two factors. One is that the giver is very clear that this is a choice portion. And two 
is that the giver really and absolutely has the best intentions of the receiver at heart and wants him to have and is ready to give him the best portion of his estate. The certainty of these two factors are highlighted in the parable. It's a portion in my estate, the estate of the giver, and he knows his property well, and he's giving this to his son. Father wants to give it to his son more than to anyone else, this choicest part. In the moral, the same is true for God and the Jew. In order for the Jew to accept that life and good are dependent upon each other, even though with human eyes it's just not always obvious, the Jew is told to pay attention to two things. One is that the world is God's estate, God who created the world and leads it, and who knows for sure the path for life. And two is that our nation is Bonim Lahashem Elekechem, God's children. And we can be sure that God's intention is for our good. But since we really can see the beauty of our position, of our portion, with human eyes, which means that we depend on the words of the giver, God doesn't suffice with just placing us on our portion. He also prompts us again and again, saying, Take this beautiful portion. And hence the addition of the words, the Oimer Lacha Ezeh Buror Lacha. He tells us, this is it, choose this, this in regards to the Father. After explaining in an earlier verse that life equals choosing good, they are dependent on one another, placing us on the good portion, there is still the need for special encouragement from above to choose life, uvacharta b'chayim, so that you will live and your children will live, depend on God completely and choose life. Of course, one can still say the moral doesn't seem to suit the parable, as in the parable it's understood that the prompting of the father, this is the position you should choose, or the portion you should choose, influences the son, who has no real absolute knowledge on his own about the value of his father's estate, certainly not with a certainty his father has who is giving it to him and who's encouraging him to take this portion. It's also a parable of a human father and a human son and physical land. So despite the son not having the expertise to see the goodness of this portion, that it's the choicest portion, his father's encouragement influences him to trust his father's words. But in the moral, not only don't we constantly see that we have been placed on a good portion, that if one does good, one will experience life physically, but one also sometimes sees the opposite with limited vision, that the evil seem to prosper and that forbidden things are sweet. The fact that at the end that sweet temptation is bitter is only something one can believe in. One doesn't know it to be true. One has to find the faith in oneself that it's true or find the logic that tells him that it's bad. And so in this case, how does God's encouragement with the words of a heart of a chayim choose life 
convince a person that he should absolutely abandon the physical and choose instead the good and the experience of life of Torah and mitzvahs. Therefore, Rashi says, and so it says in Tehillim, Hashem Hashem is my allotment and my cup. You guide my destiny, which means you've placed my hands upon the good lot, saying, take this for yourself. And this way, choose life, isn't just an instruction. It's through these words that God shows the nation physically how this is a good lot. Until we can see with physical eyes, at least from time to time, that via doing good, one merits actual life. Sometimes actually feeling the good lot that Hashem has placed us in, verifying and validating for a Jew that doing good, God's will, is the good lot and the portion that is life-giving. Thereby, one can explain the difference in Rashi's wording. When teaching the parable, Rashi says, and he tells him this, choose this for yourself. In teaching the moral, in explaining the verse in Tehillim that reflects this, God is my allotted portion and cup. Rashi says, Hashem laid my hand upon the good lot, saying, Take this for yourself. The father, when encouraging his son after directing him to the best portion, can only encourage that the son makes his choice here. The choice, however, remains the son's. And so Rashi says, the father in the parable says, this, choose this for yourself. However, when Hashem says, choose life, it's like Hashem is placing my hand on the good portion. The good portion has already been chosen and is bound up with the Jew. All we have to do is take it. As Rashi says, it's a This is yours already. Take it. Hence Rashi's use of the phrase, you've placed my hand upon the good lot, saying, this take for yourself. Saying suggests that the action is as though to say. Whereas in the parable, the father actually says to the son, choose this. The essential point in the moral is that God guided our hand and placed it upon a good lot. That this is saying, take this for yourself, is only to highlight the purpose and result of God laying my hand on the good portion. This change that Rashi makes in how he teaches the mushal, the parable, and the moral, is also alluded to in a concept in Jewish law. We'll understand it by first exploring the specific language Rashi uses when referring to the choice portion. In the moral, it is goiroli, my lot, the good lot, the choosing of life, in other words, for a Jew, is like distribution through a lottery. This further explains the difference in terminology that we mentioned just before. Choose for yourself versus take for yourself, alluding to the difference between our action taken 
excuse me, between an action taken by the father who instructs his son and a goyrul, a drawing of lots, where God lays my hand upon the good lot. Here is how this impacts Jewish law. Regarding the distribution of lots between two partners, some of the Rishonim opine that the lottery only clarifies which portion each must receive. But to actually take ownership of one's portion, one must carry out an action of acquisition. On the other hand, however, in the dividing of the land of Israel via lottery, which took place in or via the providence of the Urim Betumim, the Holy Oracle, all agree that the determined ownership for every Jew over his portion in Eretz Yisrael was determined then and there, and it belonged to him immediately. Similarly, in our discussion, in the event when one says to his son, choose this, what he has done by saying this is just qualifying for his son, which is the nice portion, and he says, so pick this one. But in the moral, when God says, choose life, God isn't just qualifying a good option called life. God is causing this good choice to be thereby within the ownership of the Jew. It now belongs to him. And all he has to do is take it. So God places my hand on the good portion and says, take this. The deep lesson in Rashi's explanation is that these two things, the choice portion, you should choose it, and the good lot, you should take it, are actually two methods in which a Jew can choose life, can fulfill uvacharta b'chayim. One method is with choice born of logical thinking and reason that determines that good, toiv, and life, chayim, are the chelek hayofa, the choice portion. It's a choice one makes for oneself between two portions. It's a choice one makes for oneself between two portions, each of which has a benefit over the other. Now that there is a choice, one is chosen and not the other. The second is choosing good and choosing life in a non-calculated or logic-driven way, rather with a choice that transcends logic and reason. The choice called life is the goyrul hatayv, the good lot. For a lottery isn't a logic-based experience, it transcends a place of logic. This choice reflects the act of taking for oneself. A second portion or option doesn't even exist here, and all one needs to do is take the good lot. This will be understood with the explanation the Alter Rebbe gives in Chesedis and on Parshas B'Shalach that the idea of the path of evil people and the general, excuse me, the path of evil prosper and the general extension of divine nurture to Klippa is that, that which conceals godliness is only at a level of makif, of transcendent effluence. And hence, it is maruba. There is too much of it. 
and it is not and cannot be contained like imminent divine energy, which is from the imminence of God's divine light and is meted out in calculated measure. This is the virtue of a Jew in choosing God. By choosing holiness, a Jew renounces the vast, uncontainable effluence of klipa and chooses the portioned, accurate effluence of holiness. And why indeed would a Jew make this choice? For two general reasons. One, the vast effluence of the wicked is temporary and then simply ceases, while the effluence of holiness and the righteous becomes ultimately greater and greater. The Talmud in Adoram reflects on this idea and teaches, if transgression accrues such abundance, how much more so the performance of God's will. This describes the logical choice, observing how worthwhile choosing holiness is, as alluded to in the early part of the Rashi. This is the nice portion. Choose it for yourself. Then there is the choice of the constricted divine effluence of holiness, God's imminent will, which flows, unlike the effluence of Klippa, unchecked, like an energy that is carelessly flung over one's shoulder. And therefore the choice made is for holiness. This flow is constricted and measured, true, but it is a flow of Be'or Pnei Melachayim, the life that exists in the light of the king's countenance. And despite its constricted measure, it is dearer than the overabundant flow of Klippa. This is no logical choice. It transcends reason. And it stems from the essential want a Jew has for godliness, which results from the lottery of having a soul, an actual part of this good portion, a part of God within him. This cannot said to be cannot be said to be a choice. One cannot then say choose for yourself, because at this level one is simply uninterested in anything other than godliness. At this level, one is told, take what is yours and make it imminent and real for you until it permeates your thoughts, the way and what you speak about, and your actions. Even though the verse tells us, I placed both options before you, life and death, choose life, which speaks to the way a person will make the choice between life and death, which can be understood in this verse in Tehillim that tells us that God places our hand on the good lot saying, in other words, as if to say, take this one. This isn't an explanation of uvacharta v'chayim, choose life. It's just that uvacharta v'chayim includes this too. This verse in Tehillim, which tells us that God places our hand on the good lot and says, make it yours. In God saying, I place life and death before you. Choose life. We understand that when a Jew chooses life through the freedom God gave him to choose, 
two things are involved. One is the root of the issue. A Jew choosing godliness because the essence of his soul is as one with divine essence. Freedom to choose at this level, despite the impossibility of the soul choosing otherwise, is nevertheless not forced upon him, neither by reason nor virtue. When one chooses through reason or virtue, the connection is limited by the reason or according to the virtue. Also, that isn't free choice, because the reason or the virtue almost forces hand. It's rather the soul choosing its essence, which makes any other choice an utterly adverse one. Then there is the gilui, the revelation of choosing godliness in one's intellect. Because one's active desire for godliness is recognized as free choice, only when two paths are placed before him, Chayim life and Mavis death, and one chooses life. Only in the mind can one discern the value or merit of both options, and yet he chooses life. Therefore God says, I've placed life and death, good and bad, before you. Choose life. Because ultimately one's divine service inculcates choosing for oneself and choosing life. What Rashi then reveals in his explanation is the inner meaning of choose life. Hence the explanation of the verse in Tehillim with the introduction of the words Va'alzem Ne'emar to which end the verse tells us God placed my hand upon the good lot saying take this for yourself. The imminence of truth in choosing God at the level of reason, actualizing choice, is also the lot of one's soul, a soul's essential source, God, which totally negates death and evil and need only just take for itself what is inherently, what inherently belongs to it belongs to the soul. Accordingly, we can also understand the connection of this discussion to the Torah portion of Nitzavim, a portion of Torah always read before Rosh Hashanah. As everything goes according to the conclusion, we understand that the connection between Rosh Hashanah and Parshas Nitzavim is not only in the beginning of the portion, where we read that you are all standing today as explained by the Alter Rebbe, a reference to the day of Rosh Hashanah, when all stand triumphant in judgment, but also this idea connects to the conclusion of the Parsha. Rosh Hashanah, when we arouse God to choose us, we pray and beg before the Shefer is blown, Yivchar lanu esnach lasenu es ge'oin Yaakov asher ohiv selah, God shall choose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, who he loves forever. A choice that inculcates the two facets discussed. The root of the choice, God choosing the souls of Israel for no reason other than with free choice, there is no way to change us out for another people. Our nation and our king are one and indivisible, and there's no room for another. 
and the revelation of the choice below, which is seen in V'yisem li'skula mikol ha'amim, a chosen nation unto God, within sight of all others, in the presence of others, we are nevertheless in God's eyes before all, and the love is obvious. Since on Rosh Hashanah everything reverts to its origin, to what was, we seek to achieve and to draw into continuity God's choice of our nation as it stems from the very essence and core of the divine. This transpires through our divine service, the work of choosing life not only by reason and virtue, but because it's our portion, the essence of our souls to choose God. And when a Jew reveals within himself the choice of the Almighty to be our God, this in turn awakens and reveals God's choice, God's choice of our nation as an amsegula, a chosen people, in a way that is revealed in its obvious good.